0: This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. No, it's not a seconds. test. This is
1: actually the emergency broadcast system, okay? <laughs> this is actually
0: the emergency broadcast system.
1: Where's the annoying
2: like beep to, to let it go all off? <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah,
1: George knew that that was going to happen as soon as he said that. Of
2: course.
0: Why else would I say it? Is Jeff on?
3: I am. Indeed I am. Hey, I'm Jeff. Here.
0: Welcome to the Stack Exchange podcast. I'm sorry we're a little late this week. I had to go to AOL.
1: Seriously. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're selling it so that they can overrule our editorial independence. No,
0: actually, we're all out of floppy disks, actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice.
0: So, uh, got to take the, the art, art train up there. We have, uh, welcome to a special Stack Exchange podcast. We have uh, two guests with us this week uh, George Beach. Hey, George. Hey. And Kyle Brandt. And those are the uh, ops guys, system administrators, network administrators, whatever the heck you want to call them these days. They, uh, you know, what, what do you call them these days? Sysadmin, ops, all of the above. Yeah. Uh, uh, At
3: the uh, Stack Exchange. That's right. And Kyle works uh, remotely from uh, Boston, correct, Kyle?
1: Yeah, I live in Cambridge right outside of Boston.
3: Something like that.
1: Which is the way of saying that Kyle is lucky and doesn't have to deal with any of our requests inside the office. And George gets deluged with all of them.
2: I do kick some of them out to him like before I get here.
4: It's good. Then I get to know some of the New When new people come in, it gives me a chance to talk to them and get to know them.
3: And should should we also mention that we are hiring another system administrator? Uh, oh yeah, we are.
0: I saw it on the uh, suspended list, but 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 we are uh, we are interviewing people actually already for that. But if you're a system administrator and you would like to work at the Awesome Stack Exchange, um, what did we decide? We decided this is a New York based job, right, George? Yes, this is yeah. New York based. Yes.
2: You. Oh, to new guy gets all the fun desktop support stuff
0: now (laughs) exactly somebody else gets to me gets to listen to me yelling at them about why the wi-fi doesn't work and how i was able to set up a wi-fi using awesome apple gear in my in my uh home in only two minutes and why can't you do that that kind of stuff so if you if that sounds good to you we will pay to relocate you to the new york
2: and it won't be just help desk. um we we will have you do other fun stuff but as a new guy you're the lowest guy on the totem at that point
3: yes Well, actually, maybe that's one thing you guys could start with. Is first of all, um, both of both George and Kyle were brought in um, from the community, and by from the community, I mean from ServerFault.com, right? Which was our community that we started for system administrators. That was the um, first site we launched after Stack Overflow. That was sort of the the logical, the first logical progression, the first baby step out of the world of programmers into something else and yes. that was actually driven by the fact that you know in the early days of, of stack overflow we did all that stuff ourselves and mm-hmm. part of the the rationalization for for having that site was that we needed we needed help with this stuff you know we're building servers we're configuring everything and you know setting up uh, redundancy and so forth for you know a fairly large site actually even by the time we hired a, a, our first estimate it was quite large
0: the story so, I always uh, tell about when people ask about how, how uh, Stack Exchange works, I always describe it as like a big pyramid. And at the bottom of the pyramid, you've got millions of people who just type something into Google, uh, landed up on our web page, and uh, are now reading something without even knowing what site they're on. And then there's a slightly higher level of maybe on the order of hundreds of thousands of people who know what site they're on. <laughs> then there's a slightly higher level, they're the people that actually register um, and maybe ask a question once in a while. And then there's a much smaller group of people higher up in the pyramid who answer some of the questions. And, and then they get, they get more and more involved and they become a part of the meta community or they join multiple communities. And you start to actually know who they are and they have 19,000 rep and stuff like that. And uh, that's sort of a, an even higher level of the pir- pyramid. And at some point, you just come work for us because you are anyway. So you, you might as well get paid for it. And uh, about half of the, easily half of the people uh, in the company total and um, certainly almost all of the engineers uh, came from uh, the site, from Stack Overflow or ServerFault yep. uh, specifically. Yes, that's definitely, uh, definitely true. All of the main community members came from the site. Um, salespeople, not so much. Uh, uh, me, I was before the site so I'm like uh, the before. And uh, uh, and then at the very top of the pyramid, there's Jeff.
3: Just no, well, come on, Joel. Okay. You can be on the top with me. It's no, okay. No. Come on up here. Come on. No, come on. Nope. Come on up. No, nope. I'm not going to do it. No? Really?
0: No, because I don't have enough reputation on meta.stackoverflow. That's really the person with the most rep- reputation on meta.stackoverflow is really rep- basically running the company. Well, that's how you can tell. You I, I, go to stackoverflow.com. I,
3: I explain that a different way. I explain the person <laughs> with the most rep on meta.stackoverflow is the person at the top of the dung heap.
0: It's actually, uh, oh, wait. So
3: that's regular stackoverflow. Overflow.
0: <laughs> It's 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 really meta, yeah.
3: Well, it's governance. But I it's mean, you. It's, I, it's yeah, it's it's a different thing. Um, Boy, but, B Alpha is
0: not even close, and he works for us. Yeah, he does. Uh, Waffle's <laughs> works for us. Um, yeah, there's a few more people we haven't hired yet here who are still have a remarkable uh, reputation on uh, meta.stackoverflow.
3: I do want to mention too that these guys run a rather excellent blog at blog.serverfault.com. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, in general. Uh, I, I like that the lead post is the end of the world is nine, which is a great post, but all the posts are really quite good and one of the things we, we do as a company and, and Kyle and George have done a great job of, of carrying the banner for this actually is that we try to talk about what we're doing. you know whenever we have problems or we're trying to figure something out, we try to document it in a way that's public by a asking about it on server fault or Stack Overflow, or wherever whichever site is appropriate uh, and also blogging about it as appropriate because sometimes um, not everything strictly fits into the Q;A format. And we're finding more and more uh, that there's this sort of editorial arm to a lot of sites, uh, starting with obviously Stack Overflow blog. Stack Overflow, but that's you know the company blog as well. Uh, but on ServerFault as well, you know, documenting some of the things we're doing and having just sort of discussions, pure discussions about them. It's like, well, why would we do this? What are our options? Uh, how do we do this, um, all that kind of stuff. And and blog.serverfault is, is a very fine example of that. We're also extending that to uh, other sites as well. Um, some of the sites have clamored for this. If you go to blogoverflow.com,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
3: you can find uh, all the sites that sort of have companion blogs at this point, not just serverfault and you know Stack Overflow, Stack Exchange, but super user gaming, security bicycles. And they're really good. Like, I was shocked. I mean, when I... Blogging is hard. You know, I, I'm not trying to dissuade anyone from doing it, but I realize when I when I ask somebody to blog, it's a huge ask. It's a major, major ask. It's not something that you do. Most people do for fun, uh, and the people that can pull it off are are quite talented. And both, you know, George and Kyle obviously have. And I was just astounded by the number of people in our in our various communities that were completely pulling this off. Like I was reading their blog entries, going, "This is actually a really good blog entry." Which I don't say a lot, like on the internet. Like, there's a lot of really bad stuff that goes out. Uh, so, anything that goes out that's good, I'm impressed. And um, I've been quite impressed uh, with Blog and many of the other community blogs at blogoverflow.com. Um, so, yeah, do check them out. Yeah, that's.
2: Uh, I'm actually almost. Not, maybe not quite as happy as you, but um, there's a, a decent amount of technical background into getting those up and running uh, in a sustainable way so that we could, you know. <clears throat> the community people didn't have to come to me every time they need a new blog and have to do a full WordPress install. Um, We're running that off of the WordPress um, with the uh, new WordPress network part. And Alex is trying to say saying, something talk to me.
1: Into your microphone, you're like he's like sitting six inches away from the microphone, like looking up at the <laughs> ceiling and like turning 180 so, degrees from okay,
2: it. Okay, so that, that's how there I normally talk. I'm used to having the microphone on the headset, and I'll go pacing around. Yeah, uh, now it, does so it doesn't work. So it doesn't that. work right here. I got this giant microphone. Um, so what I was saying is there's there's a lot of a uh, little bit of, a lot of technical work that went into Barracan to make that uh, sustainable, um, using the network install and all that type of stuff so that yeah, the we community whole, managers,
3: we have like dedicated servers for that no don't we and i last i yes. heard we we're going to get a set up a mysql instance as well
2: yes um that kind of got back with the boring pci stuff that has to kind of get done first but um yeah we the original incarnation was just a single virtual machine with uh 2 gigs of ram and a single processor um running the blog overflow network uh, which is, uh, we have a similar spec machine running the blog server fault, blog super user, uh, which actually super user blog got slash dotted three or four months ago, and that tiny little virtual machine uh, kind of hel- held off and survived a slash dotting with the caching uh, plugins, which. Kind of oh, d- Slashdot is no Slashdot anymore. I know. I was I was kind of sad to see that. I was like, we we, we survived a Slashdot on this tiny little thing. That, that, uh,
0: it, it kind of depressed me a little. I think I think people have survived a Slashdot on those little web servers that you download and install on a jailbroken um, the iPhone.
3: <laughs> it is a little sad.
0: Yeah. Um, h- uh, however, that said, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the uh, since we have both of our, uh, our sissimens on. Let's talk about the. Our network architecture, because I'm sure people want to hear about the new data center that we're building uh, next to the dam where the electricity is cheap in Oregon, and it's what 10,000 acres. Kyle, is that right?
1: Wait, what? What's 10,000 acres. <laughs> Kyle isn't <been> paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's
0: well, going on? I don't know I hear about these data centers that all these big uh, big properties are running with uh, rooms full of servers. How many by now we must have? Surely at least one room full of servers.
4: We have, in, uh, we bought one full rack for Oregon, which is our original data center with uh, Jeff Dalgus and Jeff Atwood had kind of put together out in Oregon. Yeah. And then um, in New York, we had originally got two, and we just expanded to one. Um, Wait,
0: we expanded from two racks
4: so to I'm one? I'm sorry, we expanded, adding <laughs> from, one more rack. Oh, so we, now
0: we have three racks. But three those racks. racks, that pure one here uh, only gives you like 10 amps or something, right? So they're not full, ra- full racks,
4: or are yeah, they? Yeah, they're actually, the, what we have there is cabinets, not a cage. So, um, you know, they have doors and you have to lock each door. And those particular ones, which we have at Pier 1, are small and tight, which actually is, we have a lot of cabling because we like a lot of redundant power and separate network path for our database, and those have actually gotten quite crammed. So, we might have, it'd be a pain to move, but we might have been better off getting an actual cage, which you know you have square feet and you put racks in there and that gives you a lot more room to work with.
0: Yeah, uh, we'll get there. But someday. they uh, but don't do they give you enough power? I thought for some reason I remember hearing that Fog Creek had to use five whole cages because they didn't give you enough power per cage. So you really um, could only put in like 10 servers anyway.
4: They give us 20 amps, which is fairly standard. You can get yeah. 30 amp feeds. Um I don't I think they said they wouldn't want to do that it's just because nice. the provisioning in the actual room. Um, also, I think Michael had told me a story um, your your old fog Creek system man, about that the servers he had used they had fail over in one time when he lost power to. Because he had two feeds, and when lost one of those feeds, everything switched over and then overloaded. Oh, right. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the things you always need to watch out for when you're loading up two feeds is that you kind of add them together depending on how you balance that power so and I make think sure we if had, you like, fail over, you won't trip it.
0: We had two 10-amp PDUs in the cage, and everything was plugged into both of them, I think. And when one <laughs> of them failed, it did exactly what it was supposed to do, which is it moved everybody over to the one, which then overloaded
4: <laughs> <Yeah>, properly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, it takes a while to design these highly redundant, reliable systems.
4: Well, we learned that. I mean, I never even really thought of that. I don't think a lot of people had. And Michael was telling me that story. And I was like, oh, better not <laughs> I never do that as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, we,
0: uh, I remember it was a long time ago that, that we were running on about two or five servers or something. And um, and we heard that DIG was running on... I don't remember the numbers, but it seemed like... an In order of magnitude. Yeah, it seems like they had... 10 times as many servers per um, page
2: view per day. In other words, they were 10 times less efficient than we were. Yeah, so we, um, we actually haven't changed our... Uh, we've, we've added two database servers since that happened, uh, but all of our core Q&A sites run on the same. We have nine production servers and one dev QA server that Meta runs off of. Mm-hmm. Um, we split out Stack Overflow to its own database server, with SSDs and a uh, little bit more high power just because it's the big city, it needs that power. Um, so, we're still, you know, even after the growth since then, we, we're still running off that same number of servers. We've done a couple additions, like, you know, add a second processor, add more RAM um, to allow us to do Lucene on them and fix a couple of painful uh, issues when we run into like a bad regex because. Not that our developers would ever put a bad regex in anywhere, but. um, Regex.
0: Yeah. Don't they? You know, I haven't gotten a single application to use a regex form in at least three weeks. I don't think they're using regexes anymore because I have not approved any.
3: (laughs) 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 Well, the other thing I want to point out is I'm actually looking, um, uh, Nick. And uh, I think Kyle, I'm not sure who else was involved in this, but we put together a nice little dashboard here of, of, of health. Um, and actually, Joel, I was noticing I didn't take a picture or anything weird like that. When we went to Facebook, they had similar sort of panels up. Like as you walked through, it's a big open area in Facebook, so it's kind of hard to tell who's doing what. But right. uh, they had these little monitors up, but like, sort of like Mostly
0: they're of just random randomized. graphs they're, they're, of like they're, stuff that's happening. <laughs> they're friending people. They're poking people.
3: I know how many pokes Facebook per works. second? Like pokes per second was one of them, you know. Uh, <laughs> pokes per second, uh, friends but per. I'm, country. But I'm looking at our, our dashboard here, um, and it's really nice. This is basically custom work that we did. I think it's fed off Kyle. Maybe you can explain. I think it's like all fed off like SQL data now. Like all the the, the diagnostic stuff goes into SQL, a special SQL instance, and then we just query it out. Is that right, Kyle? Yeah, we we paid for a com- commercial
4: um, Orion network monitor. It can mm-hmm. do a lot of the things that Nagios can do, but um, it has graphing built in, and it's just a lot less work to add things. So we were mainly paying for time. But one of the nice things it does is it logs to SQL. It keeps all its data in SQL Server. So that allows us to access it and do what we want with it. Um, just kind of that's what we do with our web logs, too. We store them in SQL Server. So Nick Craver built up the uh, a little web interface that's a little bit better of a display for kind of showing all the vitals of our stuff in a nice one-page view. And it's really convenient. The, gra- the graphs are actually kind of small for the CPU and you hover over and you get a lot more information. It's a really great interface just to get a quick glance of everything that's going on.
3: Yeah, it's it's, it's great. In fact, I'm noticing Oregon Web 5 is at 40% for some crazy reason. But most of the, re- <laughs> the main reason I went in here is I was just gonna point out that we have essentially 10 servers in New York that run the really the the bulk of the network. The only thing that's really in Oregon is the Data Explorer. Correct me if I'm wrong here, guys. The Data Explorer and chat, which is actually nice because there's something wrong. Like you can't get to New York, you can still chat. You can still chat <laughs> about <like> <laughs> <laughs> We really suck. Enter, you know, we can still do that. Yeah,
1: but it means when you can't get to the blog, you can't chat about that and tell people that there's something wrong.
3: The blog is still in right. uh, Oregon, as I recall.
2: Yeah, blog, blog stack, overflow stack exchanges out there. The rest of them are run out of our New York so they the need. Wait, why don't you need a whole rack uh, of
0: servers in, in Oregon for... You guys just like buying computers. Well, Those computers really, are just sitting there blinking, aren't they?
3: It's a historical artifact because we, we really switched everything to New York. I mean, yeah. there was consensus about that was the right thing to do. It made sense, and it moved us closer to our European users. You know, Pier One's you know, a, a big-name provider. All this is good stuff. Uh, but then we realized that we were getting a pretty good deal in Oregon, and it was kind of nice to have... Sort of a, a backup set of servers to do whatever mm-hmm. um, because we've actually entertained the idea like when the you know the hurricane went through New York or whatever tropical storm, whatever you call that, there was some talk of like there should be some failover mode where we go into read only mode. Where all the data goes to Oregon, yes. where you can't actually ask new questions on Stack Overflow, but you can. And that mode is implemented. This is something Joel asked is, for a long really? time ago. Ooh. Yeah, it's in there. It's just we use it so rarely, but it's there. We
0: should try it. We should use it just at random when we're doing an upgrade or something. This is just to, just to bring the audience up to date. The idea was that um, if you ever have a backup server somewhere else, you don't really want people writing to that server and although it makes sense, you're like, hey, we'll bring down the main server and people will start writing to the backup server. The trouble is, then you can never get back to the main server without somehow moving that data, during, during which time you pretty much have to be down. So the, the theory is that your backup server, for something like Stack Overflow, where 99% of the value comes from just reading pages, you make the backup server read-only. Uh, essentially, just by taking the same database, putting it in read-only mode, and making sure that nothing terrible happens in the codes if you try to write to the, the read-only database. Or even right. not caring. does it? But, but I assume that we just sort of say, hey, Stack Overflow is temporarily in read-only yeah. mode when we're in that mode.
3: Exactly. You can't ask new questions. It's actually not that hard of code to write. No. We don't actually make the database read-only. Uh, well, I guess we could. But mostly, we just any, any place in the code. The way we tested this was we actually set the database to read-only from a development standpoint and, and then just started bang, doing it. a bunch of stuff and yeah. see what breaks. <laughs> and then turn that stuff off <laughs> So you can't yeah. write. To the database. Um, and but, we but used it, it, it. We used it when we, we moved we from used Oregon. It. Uh-huh. Oh, cool. We have used it when everything
4: ones? was moved from Oregon to New York, we put it read-only mode so if people still ended up on the old site for whatever they could see stuff but
3: weren't. We, also,
2: other- we also used it when we uh, moved Stack Overflow off onto its own database server. Right. The other thing people forget about. About backup servers
0: is that you don't know how long you're going to be down for. Sometimes you've lost connection to the main server and you don't know what's going on with it, and you want to bring your service up. You have connection to the backup server, you have whatever DNS or routing capabilities you need to move people over to the backup server, and you have no idea if there's going to be a three-minute thing or a permanent thing. And if it's a three-minute thing, then you just want to go into read-only. But in all these cases, going into read-only mode on the backup server is the right thing to do. If you're going to try to go into read-write mode on the backup server and know that you're never going to be able to go back to the main server you're going to be way more reluctant to do that until you're sure that the main server is completely dead and just the the, in, in in reality when the main server is unreachable it can take sometimes you know 15 minutes or an hour to even find out what the hell is going on and then and then it could take a day while you surprisingly discover that you don't know why it's not up
3: so we have used it good idea joel um uh, but the thing I want to emphasize in this this, this report I'm looking at of this this bird's-eye view of all the servers is there's really three major graphs here, um, sparklines, if you will, um, CPU, memory, and network. And there's also some numbers to go with it and stuff. But the 10 servers that are running the bulk of the network are really barely loaded. Like right now, like uh, one of them is peaking at like 16%. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's not peak time. That would be a little bit earlier in the day for me. But assuming these were even double at peak times, we're way below, we're massively over-provisioned, which is good. But I also want to point out that I wrote a blog entry called Performance as a Feature, and we actually weren't that over-provisioned at one point because we had done some dumb stuff in our code, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, which is kind of the story of every programmer's life. It's nothing wrong with it. It's just, you know, figuring out and fixing it. Because we've gone back, and I I felt bad because these guys can probably tell horror stories. of when we ordered these servers, we've reconfigured them, like, how many times now? Two? Three? (laughs) We've... (sighs)
2: I don't even want to know.
3: <laughs> we've added CPUs because we added a second CPU cuz all the web tiers had two CPU sockets but we were figuring okay four cores you know that's, that's plenty for what we do but we actually ran into situations where we were actually peaking at like 50 like 60 to 70% which is enough to get nervous so we went ahead and said okay you know it's not that much money so we'll just dump a second CPU in all the 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 web tiers and then we also put in SSDs uh, because we started Doing uh, search work on each individual web tier and it, it also speeds up the boot times when you need to like cycle the web tiers for whatever reason, uh, in addition to helping with the the scene indexing speed and stuff like that um, so we've reconfigured these servers quite a bit. hopefully we're in a fallow period now where, we've, where we won't be reconfiguring them every two weeks
2: can I um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, okay. I hope so because i'm I'm the one kind of going over to the data center and you know going ah, all right, we've got to take all the servers down.
3: In addition to all the, like, how many people are at the office do you have to support now? Like
2: uh, twenty, thirty, twenty 20, 30? 20 or 30, I it's guess at this point, yeah.
3: Yeah, no wonder you're a bit overworked.
2: Um, I have a
0: question. This is sort of devil's advocate question. All the cool kids are just throwing their crap up on Amazon, and they just provision more servers. And I don't think Amazon even gives you a choice of SSD or not SSD. I think you just say, give me another 50 servers, and you do that are we um, are we uh, uh, living in the past are we by
2: by trying to build our own servers I don't think so um, first off i I still can't quite trust Amazon especially with the outages they've been seeing recently yeah um, but the other thing is it would actually be more expensive for us much more expensive I actually have a meta answer somewhere I don't have a computer in front of me to look it up but um, somebody does have a computer. You can look up my uh, one of my, I have a meta answer fairly highly open. Uh, meta Stack Overflow. Stack Overflow. Uh, that Not did fine. a rough analysis of the costs and the performance because, uh, especially with the Amazon offerings, you're dealing with uh, 2007 technology for the most part. Um, so we would need to massively spend to get the same kind of performance we get. Um, oh,
3: I found it. It's seven three nine six nine on Meta Stack Overflow. All right, January fifth. Seven three nine six nine. Uh, he it says here eight seventeen thousand dollars a month, which isn't that much. I mean, you got to realize now we have all these unicorn dollars, so like all the numbers we are somebody, weird. Um, <laughs> But we're certainly not spending seventeen thousand a month right now on, on just our infrastructure. I mean,
0: how much are we paying? I go. I, we have to ask Michael. It's it's. Gosh,
3: like, I don't know anymore. Probably less know. than a third of that. Really? I think so. Did Kyle, George, do you guys know? Well, I have to ask Michael, Michael. No idea on a peer One. Um, but yeah, it's it's less Michael's than that. Michael in
0: the chat room. Michael, tell us in the chat room how and, much we're spending um, on on peer One.
2: It's and, definitely less than that, and it's much better technology. If you you know you go read Amazon's absolutely. about page. And, you know, you're dealing with dual core 2007 technology type boxes is what they tell you. I think we're spending about
1: 4,000 a month. So here's my question is, <clears throat> is there a difference in the amount of configuration and maintenance work for Amazon? So for instance, we're in process of going to hire another sysadmin in part because you guys have a bunch of workload already. If we were running on Amazon. Would the workload be lessened enough that you wouldn't necessarily need that person?
2: Mm, no, probably not. Uh, I was talking when I was out at Velocity a couple months ago. Like now um, I was talking to uh, some of the guys from Heroku who run on um,
1: Amazon. They, they run on Amazon, and they are they
2: themselves a, uh, uh,
1: an abstraction
2: layer. Yeah, larger. that's the <laughs> best part. They're uh, just
1: an abstraction layer on Amazon. And mm.
2: they were telling me all the problems they had. You, you'll have uh, one of the biggest ones that that really had annoyed them is that. At times, you'll have just random latency in the network that you can't pin down. And you get random stuff like that. You have no, you have no way to troubleshoot it. They, they told me they would written all sorts of internal tools to try and monitor and work around all of these uh, weird problems that you kind of get from working out of this giant cloud-based infrastructure. Um, it's, it's not really all the roses, and it just magically works that people tend to think it is at this point, especially when you're running something high-volume.
4: I think for us, too, we're, one of the big things is we're control freaks, which makes it not necessarily the best model, because we, you know, we want to know everything that's going on with our network. We adjust the configuration in our NICs. Um, you know, we developed our own apps with the web log and then the mini-profiler to you know, watch our performance constantly. And not being able to control all that stuff, I don't think would necessarily fit all that well with the way we like to do things.
3: Yeah, there's a certain control freak aspect of what, at least, I've always done. And I I do believe that, like, caring intensely about this stuff and saying, look, we're only going to sort of have the best, you know within reason, I mean, not like gold-plated, but like best within a range of of good, better to best, and then extreme (laughs) servers, and then sort of caring intensely about every little detail of of the configuration, I think does serve you well. Whereas when you go to Amazon, what you're saying is, I don't care. (laughs) At some level, I mean, it's a redundancy story. It's more like, you know, you're going to go to McDonald's and buy 10,000 hamburgers. So it doesn't really matter if if five of them are rancid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because you have 10,000. Uh, and that's just not sort of the model we've chosen. And I think with, with the Microsoft stack, it's actually it's changing a little bit. I think you can do some of this, this scaling stuff on the Microsoft stack depending on how you build. But for the most part, it's it's really a big iron story, particularly on the database side um, of, of how you build things. And it, it turns out the big iron model is, is not really dead uh, because, you know, Moore's law is still in effect i mean you still get you know every year you basically get uh, an incremental improvement in capacity and speed and performance and stuff like that so you don't actually have to spend that much to give us to get a server that would be considered like five years ago like astoundingly large like the largest anyone had ever seen uh, is now you know commonplace um and and that just continually marches on um and and So I I think it's a completely valid model. It's just that you have to commit to it, as we have. And I don't think we're going to – the only thing I – and I've mentioned this on previous podcasts. The only thing I really worry about, and we had Nick Craver look at this when he started to make sure we weren't doing anything crazy, uh, is uh, database stuff. Like if we eventually run out of memory on the database server where we can't fit most of the stuff in memory. Yeah. I do worry a little bit about that still. Because I'm looking at the uh, the status dashboard, and uh, guess which server is is pretty much pegged on memory—the only one in our entire farm. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the one that hosts Stack Overflow. The, the database. Um,
0: Wait, when you say pegged in memory, you mean that SQL Server has expanded to fill all available RAM?
3: Pretty much. It's at ninety-eight point six two percent. You but know, it won't,
0: doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean.
3: No, I mean, no. It doesn't mean that we're going to fall over tomorrow. No, no, no. The SQL Server
0: that. is probably just grabbing memory and saying, what the hell? I might want to use it. What the hell? You can just give it to me. I'll take it. Right.
3: <laughs> but of all the servers, the only one that's actually doing that oh, I see. is the Stack Overflow yeah, server. Out. I just want to point that out. We so always point out that was the a, pressure.
0: that's the one point where we have no kind of sharding poss- capability for a single site.
3: Not for a single site. I mean, we are effectively sharded, if you will, across multiple sites. Across multiple sites. sites. Uh, sort of by dint of, you know, the segmenting by topic, really. But mm-hmm. it turns out that Stack Overflow is such an enormous That's topic space. Point. Yes. Uh, but even there, <laughs> like, really, we could, if we really needed to, we could get a server with 256 gigabytes of memory. Sure. I, I have total confidence we could do this. Right. Like,
2: even, our, even our current servers, those those R710s, I think they max out at 196. So we could put more RAM in there if you if you want us to.
3: Yeah, right, right. Well that's my point, is like even if we doubled, like said, Oh oh no, you know, we need to double in memory, we could, and it wouldn't be like we'd have to pay a hundred thousand dollars for a server that would not make even close.
0: A, a hell of a gaming machine.
3: <laughs>
2: I don't know if the graphics would speed up to spec though. It, it, it's, it's, it's got that integrated graphic stuff. We'd have to go and find a card uh, that worked.
0: Uh, can I tell you one of my old man stories when I was like, when I was like it was 20 years ago and I was working at the Microsoft Network, MSN, working on version 1.0, and every time they bought a new server for their data center, they would get this monstrous machine that was like the top of the line Intel machine. You couldn't really buy a lot of Intel servers in those days in '94, 1994, I think, 93. Um, And the first thing we would do, of course, is throw Flight Simulator on there and try to see how how fast it could (laughs) could render Flight Simulator. Uh, Those are some pretty killer machines.
3: Well, yeah, it's funny, too, because I was talking with George. George is also, like me, a big fan of uh, the the Battlefield series of games, and there's one coming out. And there's always been this, this overlap between programmers and gamers, but from a hardware perspective, it works out because the kind of hardware you need to run the latest and greatest games is really similar to the kind of hardware you want for really a server <laughs> or uh, a development machine. So there's a certain mentality of, you know, we want to have the best and fastest uh, hardware that that works for gaming as well as for, mm-hmm. you know, developers. And that's where a lot of our SSD experience is coming from because SSDs is still kind of an emerging category. In fact, just the other day, Matt Howie from Metafilter was emailing me asking about, you know, SSDs. Just, should we do this on our servers? How should this work? And, and I think it's a completely legitimate concern, because if, um, even on servers, SSDs are kind of in a weird place. They're just a, it's a little bit early in the life cycle for it to be a total no-brainer. It you, almost is.
0: Well, the, the main thing about uh, servers is that uh, uh, everybody says the minute you hit the hard drive on a server, you're in trouble. <laughs> so your server probably should have been built so almost everything is happening off of RAM anyway. Uh, Because it's a billion times faster, and you just can't build a a web-scale server that actually needs to be going to the hard drive for anything other than the rarest of things. So an SSD shouldn't operationally, like moment for moment, make things run faster. On the other hand, the things that you described, like Lucene and uh, startup time and stuff like that, um, it, it does make a big difference.
3: Uh, that's right. And it, looking at our web tier now, like sometimes it's actually hard unless you have, okay, the one case where this is clearly not true is when you have a database so large, there's just no amount of memory you could buy. I mean, this is like the Google problem, right?
0: And, well, then you're hoping that, that 99% of it is never accessed because yeah. that, 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 that 1% that you want to access is going to be so much slower.
4: Yes. The, the other side to that is that um, SANS will have huge chunks of memory. And they will have battery-backed memory, so you can write to memory, but writes do have to be committed to disk. There's nothing you can do about that. So you can try to build a bigger and bigger cache. Um, So if your write patterns are up and down enough, that cache will buy you what you need. But if for some reason, whatever your database is, is very write-heavy, you just do need a lot of fast disk storage, and there's not much way around that.
0: Oh, because eventually you have to write everything once at least. So yeah, you're it's,
4: it's got to get, get committed. It's tough, and doesn't. I forget what you know. Brent had asked us, and we were guessing. You know, how much of our database is writes and how much is reads? And I think we were like, oh, we were way off. S- we were like, so I, I was pretty close actually. <laughs> Everyone else off. I think we were like sixty or seventy percent write or something. Our, our, I think we were no, sixty percent around. read and forty percent write. Yeah. Um, you know, and everyone was thinking over well, like 90, 95 or something like that. I had cheated. I had looked at the data, but um, there's a lot more writing just committing various things to this than you might think there would be in a SQL server.
0: By the way, um, our CFO, Michael Pryor, looked it up. We're spending 4000 a month for hosting. Um, so a- a Amazon would be about four times as expensive. I guess we also bought servers. Yeah,
2: we had to buy the <laughs> hardware. Yeah, you
1: have to amortize right, the cost.
2: Yeah, I mean that's a one-time cost. We could we could probably right. go do the math and figure out how much that would cost us over right. like, a life cycle of server. What's the
1: life cycle on our servers? Three years? No, no, five years. Five. It's five
2: years at least. We you know most
1: servers okay. last longer than that. So so, so whatever our expense is d- divided by sixty then is.
2: Right, and you also got to you also got to think the the official lifetime of servers are five years, but. All that is is moving that down a tier. You're still, you're then going to use all the. You've now got 20 servers that you own. You can now move them to utility servers and stuff that isn't as important. Um, so you actually, you actually, your official lifetime and your your accounting lifetime is probably five years, but you'll probably get about 10 years of use out of a server you buy. It's so, no longer. Um, so let's say that uh, uh, that adds
0: another couple of thousand. So so four thousand, maybe it's up to six thousand or seven thousand. Still less than half of what it would cost at uh, at an Amazon.
3: Well, and two, we buy at the the highest higher levels. So, I mean, in order to get the equivalent Amazon performance, we'd have to go pretty premium on um, their service. Yeah, as well. we we, yep. we might have a lot more servers. We would, yeah. um, just from the fact that they're they're using older
2: technology. They're using, uh, like I said before, 07 technology. So we would need uh, to spread that out a little bit more. Uh, as well as have servers in different availability zones so that when, you know, US East 1 goes down, we're not completely done.
1: Yeah. Well, the, wouldn't we want to be doing that anyways, though, to avoid the need for, like, as much CDN work? I mean, g- given that, what, 60% of our audience is international? Well, Wouldn't we I, want I, to be making use of the other zones anyways?
2: Yeah, it wouldn't...
3: No. It, it, uh, CDN gets you most... The yes. CDN really gets you most of that. I mean... It really does. Like it, it gets you like eight, I would say eighty percent of the way towards having a good experience for someone outside the U.S. True. Is having the CDN serve most of the static resources. It, the the real trick there, Alex, is that once you actually have live data in two different data centers, it becomes a whole different technical problem. I mean, Joel has talked about this on a previous podcast. Fog Creek used to do this, right? They used to have. A data yeah. center in California, and data center in New York. Yep. And it's it's hard. It's a very, we were, very hard technical We were doing
0: uh, log shipping, basically. They ch- every time a change was written to a SQL server, we would ship it over to the other uh, coast um,
3: pretty much right away. And th- if we can just avoid that for as long as possible, I will be a happy, happy camper because, man, that's a hard problem.
4: Um, I think yeah. Brent told us if we wanted to do that with SQL server, we would need enough DBAs to be covered 24-7.
0: So this is uh, Brent Ozar, SQL Server ec- Extraordinaire, DBA
2: expert of the universe, and, and that's yes. just for the system side. There's he also mentioned a lot. You know, there's, there would have to be a lot of in-code work that you know um, Jeff's team would have to do to make it even safe to even attempt. Yeah,
3: it it, it it's so much simpler from uh, from just wow my, the mind, mm-hmm. my mind kind of boggles just thinking how complicated things would get if we actually had live data in two different locations it, it's it's
2: an interesting uh, mental exercise at this point yes. but it's not something you'd actually want to implement until you absolutely had to and hopefully we're big enough of the size that you could do it you know with the right way and not have to um worry about the price
0: i think what you would do is you'd want to rewrite stack overflow the, the core engine so that it's a, a client-side engine and it talks to It just connects to 10 servers and says, hey, do any of you have anything for me? And each server has, you know, let's say 30% of the data. And they all sort of submit it. And then the client side kind of collates it and shows some of the results.
1: I bet that has great performance when people are on their iPads.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's actually how uh, Facebook works, by the way. Just so you know.
3: Well, that whole zones thing they do, right? Yeah. they, they
0: They send down an HTML page that consists of just like a few divs and nothing else. And each div is some JavaScript independently goes and loads that part of the page uh you know completely separately. So each part of the page can be coming from a different server. And it's um and they're pulled together client side.
3: Right. Yeah, we should find some citation for that. Do you get you have to dig that up, Joel, so we can put it in the, the show sure. notes because that's been brought up a couple times and I want to read about that a little bit more. I don't think uh, it's a room, totally good room, map for what we room. do because so much of Facebook when you log in is custom to you. Like pretty much the entire thing is, from what I can think. Uh, whereas for us, that's really not true. Like we do some customization on the homepage of Stack Overflow only because we had to. Uh, but in general, everybody kind of sees the same information more plus or minus 10%. Uh, so it's kind of a different use case, but it's still definitely an interesting scenario uh, to think about. Uh, one thing I also wanted to mention while while I'm at it is, w- there's been this longer term trend to take more of our uh, auditing data, such as uh, the server health dashboard I talked about of CPU memory and network. Uh, and move that into SQL Server. We also started moving all of our logs into SQL Server, uh, and we have a whole database server that we had to buy and then reprovision as typical because we got it all wrong, and I blame myself. Uh, So we can actually do sort of real-time querying in SQL of of sort of every every hit to our websites uh, if we need to, and this requires a massive amount of uh, bandwidth and storage, and I remember Jared... Uh, working on this to, to to write the code that would actually insert the rows like rapidly enough <laughs> that we could actually get them all to go in. Um, that was a fun design exercise, but the upshot is that it's helped us a tremendous amount with um, uh, just being able to to tell what's actually going on in sort of real time on the network, uh, like what's getting hit, how often is it getting hit. Like sometimes, like let me give you an example. Like when we roll out a new feature, one of the things we look at is well, how many people are actually using this. So we just go run a query on DBO5 of like, well, geez, how many people hit this URL fragment? Um, and sometimes we use that to justify doing stuff and not doing stuff. But before that, it was a huge pain in the butt to even think about doing that because if we'd have to go to Google Analytics or you know, dig through the actual you know, 12 gigabytes of log files and parse them. Now it becomes a relatively straightforward query on DBO5. But DBO5 had to get real beefy to even think about doing that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so so DBO5 was bought as a a NAS type box with just a decent amount of storage, pretty low memory. It was just basically going to be a file share. You know, one processor. Yeah. And then it got reprovisioned. And uh, we, I mean, I think we basically replaced the whole thing. We added a second processor, added a bunch of RAM, ripped all the disks out, and put in the three terabyte uh, SAS SAS, or SATA disk.
3: Um, that's right. Yeah, for all our big storage drives, we have a, a NAS and also another NAS machine in, in Oregon that's the same drives. We just bought the three terabyte, uh, enterprisey three terabyte drives, and just said, you know what, we have so much storage, we don't have to think about this anymore. Right.
2: Uh, we, yeah, a DBO five is thirteen terabytes of storage, or some something fun like that. Nice. Um, which we calculated out to be would be just under a year of just our log files. And we have
3: a lot of logs. I mean, we get a lot of hits, um, particularly on Stack Overflow. So this is not yeah, think, a trivial amount
2: of data yeah, we I think uh, last time uh, Jared calculated, it's about 20 gigs a day goes into the SQL server. Nice. Uh, and yeah, just that, logs. Was
3: a, that was a tough engineering problem. Because right? when we first started that, Joel, that was the thing where I was very skeptical. Yeah. I was telling Jared, I was like, no, don't do this. We don't really need this. And Jared was very adamant that we needed it. And I was like, okay, fine. You know, if, if you believe so strongly in it, then go do it. And uh, he was right. Like we get a lot of really interesting data out of this server, on uh, you know what's actually going on with our sites. Mm-hmm.
4: The amount of data is kind of an interesting problem because we were originally setting this up. I'd emailed to people, and I emailed the author of uh, HAProxy, and he had responded. And I've heard this elsewhere. Don't use SQL Server for log data because it's just it's not well suited for it because you're not actually creating. We create one table a day, so we're not actually creating any sort of relational. Structure. We're just using it to store data. Um, there's extra writing that goes on when you store stuff in SQL, so it's kind of the one of the poster boys for NoSQL. Facebook and Rackspace—they're all using NoSQL databases for their logs. But the trade-off, and I think why we did this anyways, is that all the we all know SQL. It's it's a language we know, and we can get the information we want without too much trouble. So I think we did have to get a good amount of hardware for it, and if we keep growing a lot, it might no longer become scalable, but in the meantime it does allow us to ask the questions we want answered with relative ease.
3: Yeah, I was a little skeptical because I don't like treating SQL as sort of the the solution to all problems. (laughs) But I I was surprised that it has worked really well um, and and has been a huge success. So, what it's worth. Because at some level, you know, we have speaking of NoSQL, um, We do one server we rely on heavily, and actually we should talk about is is our Redis servers, because we need shared state between all the because we have ten servers. Oh, Redis!
0: Um, I'm sorry, I thought you said Reddit servers. I was like,
3: (laughs) (laughs) we read a lot of Reddit in the office here,
0: yeah. We need need our own cached copy of Reddit.com just to just to lower the bandwidth.
2: But that's how we we wouldn't we all our links would be followed. What is You'd Redis? only be able to. <laughs> True, yeah. Never mind. So uh, Redis is uh, uh, in memory caching. Um, uh, Jeff can probably explain exactly what it is. What it is a little well, bit. Well, it's just
0: than really very
3: fancy key value stores. Right. So it's basically a I mean, memory
0: data structure that you use to provide a cache for any kind of thing that you might be looking up in something slow. You just throw it on right. there. Why do you need a so- server for Redis?
3: Well, because a it, it uses quite a bit of memory. In fact, these servers are they're not at capacity, but they they're they're seeing much higher memory usage than say our web tier on our web tier, like on the Stack Overflow servers right now, it's at like six gigs out of sixteen. So, so it's if not I want really something from the database, memory.
0: you're telling me if I want something from the database, it's faster to go to a dedicated machine and say, hey, do you have a cache of this thing that's in the database and have it give it to me, than just to go to the database itself, which already has some kind of caching built in.
3: Well, the problem you run into, Joel, is that you have 10 servers. So you don't really know which, which server you're going to be on at any given time. Uh, although we do some sticky uh, balancing, we're supposed to be, and, and in some cases we do, do truly round-robin, where every request will hit a different server. So you know, that server has no idea that you were just looking at Java questions. Because um, you were looking at it on some other server. Yeah, you were on server 6, now you're on server 7. It's like, oh, I need to look at all the Java questions. Well, you know, we don't want to hit the database again in the 10 seconds since you clicked next page to get mm. the list of all the Java questions. So that and, and this is a way of skipping the database and going directly to the network. It, it's still a network hit, though. It's not... Yeah. One thing we struggle with is um, there's still situations where you want to cache in memory, and this is why we still do some sticky uh, IP stuff where people will hit the same server over and over, because it's still much, much faster to not hit the network and just serve stuff directly out of memory when you can. That's why I've resisted this idea that Everything should be pure round robin. It is pure from an implementation uh, scalability standpoint. Mm-hmm. But it really bones you on um, serving stuff out of memory. Like, you're pretty much hitting, hitting the network all the time. And we, had, we should probably talk about the network apocalypse that we had.
1: <laughs> That's
3: probably <laughs> worth talking about. because that was,
0: that, were really, the New York City had the network apocalypse. We also had the earthquake. We had a little earthquake here. Uh, we had a hurricane. And apparently next week we're getting a plague of locusts. Oh, nice. But a very but, tiny
3: one that won't actually yes, cause that much damage. Just gonna, It'll just be talked about a lot. They're just going <laughs> to eat the everything bagels
0: and move on. Yes, that's oh, right. man, I've told that joke too many times. Everybody else already knows it.
4: Before we move off the caching, there was a, an interesting thing I saw, which I still want to make sure I'm measuring it right, but I was trying to figure out, you know, how over-provisioned we are, and if we start adding servers, where that would take us. And it's just, we have a lot of room, so it's more just for fun. But I noticed, um, if you break out how many hits we get per second, it's going to be somewhat random, even at our high traffic times. And if you look at that and figure out how our response time relates to that, as we get more hits, the average response time is going up. So right now, more hits means our response time seems to be getting faster. Wait. Which is
3: confusing Wait, to me. Well, so that's a caching effect, then. I think so. Yeah, yeah. It might be either that I'm measuring it wrong,
4: or it's the caching effect. Like we were saying, that the, means we're getting more cache hits because we're getting more hits it's per second.
0: It just sort of flushes out dust in the computer arteries. The first few times you run it, there's like there's all this stuff in there. It goes a little slow, but after it's been running for a while, everything starts to flush out. It starts to run fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> any kind of crap that is accumulated in the wires on the on the server is cleared out.
3: Well, one thing that it is related to caching, but the networking stuff. Um, a lot of the architecture with NoSQL. The, the implicit resource that they're banking on is really networking. Because they're saying, okay, we're not going to hit a database. Everything's in memory. So there's, you know, ef- effectively, you know, it's, I mean, shoot, in memory stuff, that's like O of 1 or O of N at the worst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, like, you have to get it over the network. So you're always going to pay this price of hitting the network. And say you had 100 servers all hitting the network. Well, yeah. all of a sudden, you kind of have a network scalability issue a little bit. I mean, gigabits really fast, don't get me wrong. But it's, but it's not an infinitely fast pipe and there, it is a resource that can be consumed right uh, uh, and actually maybe do you guys want to talk about the network apocalypse and what we did because that was probably the biggest sort of crisis we had
2: yeah um, it, I recall um, recently so we we're still not we, we were never able to track down exactly the the root cause of what triggered this but um, we ran into an issue a couple months ago where uh, our network would just kind of Start crawling, and we, we'd get timeouts on all of our servers. We'd start timing out between the database server and the the web servers and Redis, and everything started timing out. We're looking at the 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 network, and we're not really seeing anything wrong with the actual network hardware. The the stats and um, everything weren't looking too horrible. You know, there was drops and stuff like that, but we which we later attributed to. Um, uh. A phenomenon called micro bursting uh, which is uh, when you burst up to gigabit speeds at microsecond times so you're going really really fast for very short periods of time now and we were actually overloading the the buffers on our uh, input and output queues on the switches um, so when that started happening we would also then see um, we, we couldn't there was nothing actually really wrong and one, I mean, we spent, I don't know, four or five days with, uh, you know, me, Kyle, um, a couple of devs just pounding out this taking pack captures, digging into every log we could find, get our hands on. Um, and just kind of as a, a last, last ditch throw up our hands, we rebooted the entire switching stack, um, which, you know, took everything down for five minutes. And then it came back up just fine. I hate that. So and you know we opened uh, case you know cases with Cisco and nobody was really able to find a root cause for this. Um,
3: well, we we did we made two major changes. I mean, didn't we we changed the way the network is architected a little bit?
2: So yeah, like yeah. So after that first incident, we had another one. Like uh, I think it was eleven days later. We started, we were tracking the we started tracking the days. Um, at that point, we just immediately rebooted the switches and started doing. Um, Architecture changes, so we, we kind of we had our uh, our database path, our path from the web service to the database went would go through a router. The the web servers and the database servers are on different networks. So what we ended up doing is we added in um, two extra uh, Ethernet cables to each of our uh, servers and set up a whole new network which is completely unrouted, um, just purely for database communication, and we set everything up to go and talk. So now our web servers go and talk to the database servers behind the scenes. They don't have to go through um, a router anymore.
3: Uh, that helped. The- well, let me just clarify for, for everyone listening. So so the way it used to be was all network traffic was sort of centrally routed. Like every communication from every web server went through the central switches, which is right. great from a manageability standpoint, for sure. Right. Um, uh, but... Based on the weirdnesses we were seeing, we're like, okay, maybe that's not <laughs> working out. And a lot of the traffic from a given web tier is to the database. You know, granted, it hits level one cache, it hits Redis, you know, uh, well, actually, shoot, anything out of level one cache, anything that's not in memory on the server has to go through the network. So it was really database plus Redis traffic. So really, we're talking about breaking that off into a separate dedicated pipe, a dedicated connection between the web tier and the, the, the database server. Not even Redis. So Redis would still be centrally routed, isn't that correct? No, because it's not the same yeah, segment.
2: we we then move. We did move Redis uh, as well. Uh, just, oh, it, you did? Yes, because okay. uh, it's the same type of traffic. Uh, so we 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 figured we'd get a benefit from that, and it wouldn't be, you know, it would be less harmful than leaving through, going through the router. Uh, so
3: Redis
4: Redis never would have gone through the router because that was always on the same network segment. So
3: that would have never. Well, sorry, I'm I'm using the wrong terminology. I meant just the switches.
2: So yeah, I, uh, yeah, we, we, yeah, so we're still going through the same physical switches. We set up uh, what, what's called a VLAN uh, to se- just segregate out the traffic uh, so we wouldn't have to go through the router. We, were, we were Basically, all we were doing with this is cutting out the routers and the firewalls from the uh, equation when deal- dealing with database traffic.
4: I see. The um, other big step we did to that is that um, we had teamed our NICs for failover. So if one of our network cards was to fail, the other one would pick up, and that's how they were generally configured. But when we rebuilt this for the separate network for the database tier using extra NIC ports, we did them in active-active mode. So the packets, I believe, are being round-robin across on both all the web servers, and we did that to the database NICs too. So we no longer had um, single network cards, which we thought would help us kind of avoid that micro-bursting effect that we're talking about by spreading out the burst a little bit.
0: Yeah. It's a little bit like having two roofs on your house so that when the rain comes, you get no leakage.
2: Yes. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, if anybody's curious, it's called active load balancing with receive-side load balancing. Um, In the Linux world, I believe it's uh, bonding option, uh, level six or seven. Um,
3: so we have Bond. multiple gigabit, how many gigabit ports are any each server, like four? We like have
2: four Intel and four Broadcom. The Broadcom NICs are shut down. Um, if we oh, were yeah. really in a hurt spot where we had, had to add throughput real quick, we could uh, turn the Broadcom NICs back on and get eight ports. Um, wow. And all the pain that's involved with dealing with Broadcom NICs. <laughs> well, I was going to point out
3: that, I mean, there's, there's beyond gigabit, right? There's like 10 gigabit. And right. I don't know what there is beyond that, but it gets expensive. And I'm just wondering, what's the delineation point between having you know 5 gigabit ports versus one 10 gigabit port. I mean what what's your guys experience with that? I mean is that even do we it sounds like we may never need to worry about like 10 gigabit because you can have 10 we could have 10 single individual gigabit ports on the server and it still wouldn't really we're not going to run out of PCI express bandwidth, are we? That's pretty high.
2: Probably not. What we're going to run out of what what's going to drive that cost up is if we're running 10 lines to each server. That's ten oh, switch yeah. ports on the switch side. The switches aren't that cheap. Oh yeah, and um, they charge you by the port. If you divide out, uh, but I mean the the switches are not really um, the switch. You know the switches are between I think we uh, they're like between three and seven grand a piece and and up depending on the feature set you need. Um, so that can get really expensive I, really I bought quick. Switches at Radio Shack for under fifty bucks. <laughs>
3: Come on, Joel. You only buy things from the Apple Store. Who <laughs> are <laughs> you trying to fool? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't. think Apple sells switches. They
0: might have uh, the they Airport. Actually, airport Express. Well, extreme. they sell
3: their Air Airport Express. Right.
0: Right. It's, it's all Wi-Fi a
1: switch. That's a that's a. Well, so. you can tile, Go switch. buy ten of those right now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I use that. Uh, I got an old Sonos that happens to have that's two, two network network ports post. in the back.
1: So we've replaced all of our Cisco twenty-nine sixties with Apple Airport, airport Express. Express. Yeah. switches. But no, no,
3: these are the extremes. You understand the Airport Extreme, and we have pulled all the
2: hard lines out. We're just using wireless for connectivity. We don't need VLANs. We have actual
1: separate networks. Um,
4: I'm actually always for buying like cheaper home stuff if it's really what you want to do because what that means is probably in about six months it's going to end up in my living room (laughs) doing some sort of cool thing in my house when it doesn't work anymore. So I'm always happy to do that. By the
1: way, thanks to Jin saying this in our chat room, I absolutely hear it. Kyle and I do sound like Completely alike on on the podcast.
0: Yeah, you look the you same sound similar. It. You sound yeah. similar.
3: I can hear the difference, we but I could d- see
1: worse. <laughs>
0: we should move move on. Is there any uh, any news of the Stack Exchange network this week uh, worth uh, covering? I was on vacation, right? Wasn't it? Uh, uh, no, you've been back.
3: You how you were missing four, I
0: mean, four, four of. days of? Uh, I took four days for the um, Labor Day weekend.
1: Oh, yeah, I was, I was a little bit missing. And then you were kind of working on Bog yeah. Creek stuff, stuff. today yeah. and tomorrow.
3: Um. We uh, let's see. We did have one new one new engineering hire, and Joel, what? did you want to talk about him? Sure. Who, who's our new engineer?
0: Oh, Demis. Demis.
3: Yeah. Well, he started. We Demis well, he started, started. He started he months hired ago. He started months
0: and months and months ago. But he's, but he's Australian, but he's living in England and all kinds of stuff. And he's finally moved to New York. Yay, Demis but, is.
3: Uh, but he had written some cool stuff. Yes. Yeah. Check check out
0: it. Uh, if you Google a ser- service stack. Am I spelling that right? Like service stack, as if it were one word. And this is a uh, uh, .dot net Let's see. Okay, here's what it is. It's a modern, code-first, DTO-driven, WCF-replacement web services framework encouraging be- best practices for creating DRY high-performance scalable REST web services. And Did it's
1: awesome. Did those it's cut, mean uh, anything, or was that like 100% yeah, buzzword? Whew.
0: Okay, so basically, <laughs> service well, stack is a...
3: It, it does sound very buzzword-heavy, but I do, I do want to point out that even before we started, we had adopted one of his tools, like the thing that serializes to, to JSON, the JavaScript... Right we we adopted that because it was one of the best things out there so and it you was know, super he, fast, He's already yeah. written some really great code. That... And,
0: and he came to our attention when he wrote, uh, it, it, by way of demoing his framework, he, he sort of created a, a version of uh, Stack Overflow uh, built uh, on his framework. And it was shockingly fast. Of course, it didn't have to support any users or have any data in it. But it was still very fast and looked very, very neat. And he, he sort of came to our attention for that reason. Um, so I looked him up when I was in England and said, you want to move to America, don't you, and work for, for the Stack in the New York office? And he did. So welcome, Demis.
3: Yes, very cool. Uh, addition to the team,
0: and uh, he is. Uh, wait, sorry, we should say what his um, like handle is on the uh, on the stack. Myths. Over.
3: You probably anything? just hired him because he has a Z like fog bugs. Yeah. <laughs> what is it?
0: Myths. What? Myths. M Y. Oh yeah, it is M Y T H Z. Yeah.
3: Yeah, see, he did put that Z in just for you, Joel, I think. He was yeah, like, I, oh, so. I must appeal to Joel Spolsky, therefore.
0: <laughs> very gosh, very dude, successful. Dude. Um, anyway, uh, yep, that's, that's a new news item. Hey, <laughs> Jeff, uh, I, got, I got news. Unfortunately, we are canceling dev days. Oh. Um, yes, we had discussed this a little bit earlier, but we can, I guess, officially announce it here on the podcast. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to take uh, blame for this. We're, we're big on blame at, at, at Stack Exchange as a company. Um, so uh, uh,
3: only ironically, not actually. they <laughs> don't blame. I just want to point that out. It's, it's ironic. It's an ironic statement. It's, we don't actually. <laughs> we don't actually blame the people. So we, we um, like people to own stuff. I mean, that's that's the the hidden lesson. But it's not actually about the blame. Uh, I'm going to own Sometimes this one. It is.
0: And my punishment is going to be to write a blog post about it, which is not as bad as all the people around here we have to now cancel about a million hotel contracts and refund about 8,000 airline tickets. But uh, the, the, um, here's the, the, the root cause was that um, I got sort of 2.0 disease where I took the Dev Days, which was very successful the first time we did it, and tried to make it better in every way. Um, so here's a list of all the things that we tried to do. Remember the original Dev Days was $99. One day, 10 cities, 4,000 people came. It was awesome. Uh, It was an average of 400 people. We had like 900 people in in London. And uh, um, so we tried to make it a little bit better. And, you know, the first Dev Days was, um, shall we say, uh, poxed. Is that a word? Poxed? Like a pox upon your house? Somebody sure. who speaks Riddled English. With, Riddled with um, little, little minor administration problems. The Wi-Fi didn't work in almost any city. The uh, There wasn't always coffee, you know, in the morning. There wasn't always uh, lunch. It was not always added. Sometimes it was there. Sometimes it wasn't. Um, the AV was all done sort of on the cheap, so it wasn't always very good. And uh, essentially we decided $99 was just way too cheap. We could not pull off a good conference for $99. So we quietly doubled that. And then the other thing that people told us was, hey, the conference is too short. I would have loved two days of that. And there wasn't a lot of time for people to socialize since we really just had a day of crammed in learning sessions. So we decided to expand it out to two days, and that made $200 become $400, and, uh, and it was a two-day conference. So essentially, that was the the flaw here, In the plan was we didn't realize that, Making all these little improvements would also kind of blow it out of the range of what somebody would pay for out of their own wallet and take a day of vacation into the range of, okay, I need to ask my boss for permission to go to this thing, and this has to be my conference for the year or whatever. Because so nobody's going to pay $400 out of pocket for a conference if their, if their boss won't pay for it. Some people would, but... Not nearly enough, as it turns out. And we also thought that 10 cities was kind of really hard. So we narrowed it down to four cities, and we did a much bigger, fancier production in every city. We had bigger venues. We had awesome AV. We had the incredible Wi-Fi with a fantastic uplink and the you know Ethernet drops to every table and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, And uh, it was just getting uh, to be a big production. And then, uh, uh, you know, we got some people did sign up for it, but, you know, it was like, hmm maybe 10% <laughs> of the capacity of the show. Uh, so we just had to pull the plug.
3: And then did you want to talk about too, Joel? So that is the sad One story. thing that struck me when, when we brought this up was whenever we talked about dev days, the constant refrain was, well, what about dev days for X? Des Moines, X is- yeah,
0: Des Moines, Iowa.
3: Right. And, 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 like, I, and Come I to think- Perth. Nobody ever comes to Perth. Right. Yeah. And, and we also did um, you know, those meetups, the, the meetups that we did. Right. Um, and, and i think maybe fun. they were trying to tell you that i think so
0: and i think uh, essentially well you know, this the truth is conferences are you know meeting in person you know in real time is it one end of an extreme where the internet is at the other end of the extreme and mm-hmm. I think we need to be closer to the internet side of things and I think that's what people were telling us is like listen the, the whole reason Stack Overflow is awesome is because there's bazillions of people benefiting from it all the time I mean there are millions of questions on there it's just a huge lively thing and the minute you say hey let's get together in four cities in the world even if you pick the awesomest best cities um, which we did uh, you're, it's still a place you have to go and you have to fly there and stay in a hotel and um, that just, you know, of necessity eliminates 99% of the people from being able to do that. And so uh, given that we had meetups very successfully in dozens of cities, and there were those were just simple, like, let's get together with beer and meet each other, um, I think that the direction we want to go is a lot more... A lot thinner on the ground, a lot more events, shorter events in more places. And um, I think that what we'll we'll try to set up, and we're really kind of, this is sort of in early stages, is a much more robust uh, meetup system. It's not as cool as having a whole conference, but first of all, we can have meetups where there's actually a speaker that teaches you something as opposed to just uh, let's all get together for beer and because we all love Stack Exchange. Um, These will be like real, you know, there will be a reason to go. It's like, hey, there's a lecture on Redis by such and such a person or whatever or learn about the Stack Overflow architecture from
3: so-and-so. Well, we can just support existing user groups. I mean, in the case of Stack Overflow and yeah. probably for, for SysAdmins, although, again, thinner on the ground.
0: Right. Um. Or existing. So essentially what we want to do, and um, we can do this, we have the money, we have the resources, we have the people, is to create like a little institution here that is the user group support um, place, association inside uh, Stack Exchange, the company. And basically you you set up a meetup. It's not us. It's, it's the people. And let us know. And we will send pizza and T-shirts and speakers if possible. And we'll promote it. And we'll announce it. And we will... Um, Let you put ads on Stack Overflow that are geo targeted to your region. So if you're doing one in Tulsa, we'll show an ad about your meetup, you know, the the, the the week of to everybody who comes to our site from Oklahoma about the meetup that you're organizing. Uh, so essentially, we're going to sort of, once again, depend on the community a little bit to organize these things, um, but then we can support them with promotion, with, um, you know, small uh, administrative support, like, you know, maybe we can have somebody in the office here call all the local universities and try to find you a classroom or call all the local bars and try to find you a, a, a venue. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then we'll send along some some stickers and t-shirts and pens uh water bottles.
3: I think that's much more in line with the sort of community sourcing model and yeah. also more worldwide. Yeah,
0: I like I like it a lot better. We do we do have a worldwide audience um we had uh One of the Dev Days uh, was supposed to be in Sydney. That one, sadly, had very low enrollment. Uh, Another one was going to be in London. That had pretty decent enrollment because the London one, there are cheap flights to London from all over Europe, and so people from all over Europe were planning to come to the London event. Um, And uh, uh, we really do have a very, very worldwide audience. Something I I like to show people, um, whenever they tell me, I can't hire programmers to work at my stupid startup. I can't find anyone. And I say, where are you? And they say, Silicon Valley or New York. And I, and I go to the Stack Overflow users page. Uh, let's go there right now. Stackoverflow.com slash users. And, and um, uh, a few months ago, we added geographic locations to there. And I say, well, let's see. Are you any of these places? Rouen, France, London, United Kingdom, Reading, United Kingdom, Willemstad, Curaçao, Cumbria, United Kingdom, Stockholm, Sweden, Czech Republic, Madison, Wisconsin, Netherlands, Tokyo, Japan, Brisbane, Australia. I'm on the whole first page page of the users. And I don't think there's a single person there in Silicon Valley. Like, there's not one person on our front page in Silicon Valley. There's only a few people in the U.S. I mean, we have Czech Republic, Germany, France, Berlin. So um, the programmers are really spread all over the world, and they're not in the, the traditional single places. Wait, here's that one in Madison, in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's not Silicon Valley. Let me
3: make sure that's actually accurate because we uh... – <laughs> yeah, that is – some of these are, uh, well. We, it's a long story, but we, we went through the lo- the location field is actually tries to be valid, like it checks to see if it can geo. Oh okay. yeah, we, hey, we wait, did we clean those up, up, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we cleaned those up. But what happened is, if you put something really wacky in there, like we'll map it to some crazy place. <laughs> yeah, the, like the moon. Like say you put in the moon. For I think your location. we have. Uh,
0: yeah, I always wonder whether so many programmers in Eastern Island, Easter Island.
3: Yes,
1: exactly. So it. it we
0: I'm sorry, is Madison correct,
1: considered a crazy place that we'd map something to? yeah.
3: Madison, yeah.
0: Oh, that we would map something be, to? No, it's not funny enough. Okay. It has to be something funny.
3: I've seen some pretty weird ones. So anytime I see somebody in a very, very strange location, I always yeah. check because it's usually <laughs> us <laughs> messing joke. up the location field. Oh, yeah, yeah. That way, was a one-time thing. In but case it, anyone it's important to note that,
0: that. that the one thing I do not see anywhere on the front page
3: here is Palo Alto, California. Oh, Mountain yeah, View, in California. Very true. Yeah. I, don't see anybody, I don't even see anybody in California on the first page. So, right. Now, this is just users with the most rep in the given week by sure. default. But, you know, yeah. You could go to order and it's get a different It's not that there are, aren't people there. It's
0: just that programmers are very, very much spread. And, so, and there's certain locations uh, where there are, like, I think in Europe, they just don't have as many cool startup jobs in a lot of these places in Europe. So um, I think that the programmers in Europe in general are a little bit underemployed.
3: Wow, this guy's in Malta Really? Malta? Yeah, that's a place it, Okay, so that's south of Italy I didn't actually even know where that was It's actually a United Kingdom,
0: uh, isn't it? Or it was so They speak hmm. English, it's part of the Commonwealth Probably It's an English-speaking country The UK kind of, back in
3: the day, took over a lot of places They did, they did yeah. this,
0: this person is in Malta
3: This is one of our best users, actually Yeah,
0: we had we had a kid in oh, Tehran but he, moved, he actually moved to California Who was the guy from Tehran? He was in uh, Iran He was a teenager their dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: By the way, I should drop in real quick that sort of everything we're saying about dev days and the four dev days that we had also applies to the uh, server fault scalability day that we are planning on co-locating with dev days in San Francisco. That is
0: also... um, Now, we've already sent out... By the time you're listening to this podcast, we've already sent out uh, email to everybody that we think (laughs) registered for the conference to explain about how we're sending our refund. But... um, Uh, If
1: you have any questions... Unless uh, they entered a malformed email address. Yes.
0: Or if you're having any trouble getting the refund processed instantaneously, um, just drop an email to devdays at...
1: Please, Stack please don't tell people that <laughs> you know it's going to take a few days like so the, oh. the refunds will all be issued starting wednesday morning okay but if you depending on your, your bank it's two to seven business days for it to actually come back and hit your
0: account give us a week please and then send email to deb it's not that many people that registered <laughs> that's the whole problem it's not gonna, it's gonna be that hard to process this i will stand at the at the front door of our building and i will hand out individually handwritten checks
1: um all right, so you can call that. Joel on his personal <laughs> cell phone number at 555.
0: Now, Jeff, one thing I should mention is that we are stuck with this gigantic, gigantic credit at a hotel in Washington. So I think the plan is to try to use that for like a really killer company meeting in Washington, D.C., mm. just to, just to burn, burn down that credit. And if anybody asks us what we spent all our unicorn bucks on, we'll have a really good excuse. We tried to have this conference, but we ended up just getting all the presidential suites. Lined up for all the programmers at this hotel, um, and then giving everybody a four hundred dollar credit for the hotel gift shop.
1: Mm, DC in <laughs> December, <yeah. deciding. laughs>
0: which is why we have. No, no, no I think we can, <laughs> so I, think we can that. I think we can reschedule that. I think we can
1: reschedule for like April. We can go see the cherry oh. blossoms and then get drunk oh, on Don nice. Perignon and Johnny Doesn't Walker Blue. be December.
3: Yeah, that would be awesome if we could put it. The in cherry a blossoms are
1: like March right? time That's, of year. That's April.
3: Uh, Wait, yeah. is, this, is this hotel a chain? Will they will Well, it's they a Marriott,
1: but it, it only... Well, We have to still work this whole thing out with them. All right. If yeah, yeah, we, 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 we can, do what we it, it would be, be this hotel this. only. Yeah. Okay, fine.
0: Anyway, so I just want to say to any VCs that funded us that are listening to this podcast, that is why we are spending $100,000 on, on a very, very posh company meeting. That's also
1: why we'll be coming We're, in for, 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 uh, yeah. for an inside round starting next month. <laughs>
0: This is what always happens to these startups. They have to explain where the money went. Like, wow, well, we did a conference and we canceled it, and we blew
3: it all in a hotel. And I mean, we life had a credit anyway. master chief. <laughs> okay, and then the other sort of. Mm additional news is we we did uh, and this is actually based on a podcast so one thing that came up when we weren't doing the podcast for for a year when when joel took his uh, hiatus which was fine i think the the reasons were fine i've, I've gone to that before but one thing i didn't miss was that we actually when recording the podcast we would actually come up with with ideas of, of of things to do sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and on on podcast 15 with uh, Michael Natkin of Cooking Exchange, in the process of just having that conversation with Michael and talking about like his inter- really interesting background in in cooking, like what he did, how he did it and what what sort of, you know, expertise he had in the topic. Uh, I realized that if you went to the site, if you went to cooking.stackexchange, and you got a, a, your question answered by by, by Michael Natkin, you would have really no idea who you were who was talking to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is fine on one level because the post should stand alone; it should be a, a good answer that explains what you know. The answer to your question. Sure. Uh, but on the other hand, it, it's also sort of cool to, to to learn about these people that are answering your, your questions. Like, well, who are you to answer my question? Um, <laughs> And I realized that sort of clicking through the user page, we weren't doing a good job of surfacing their expertise. And that's the, the genesis of this idea where now, if you have a thousand or more reputation and a completed, r- roughly completed profile, you can just mouse over the actual image, the the avatar, if you will. The gravitar avatar. Yeah. And it'll sort of expand. And we call, it, we call that the user card. So this is the expanded user card. Uh, it sort of pops up and... Um, Extremely. In a respectful way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And gives you sort of detail about who this person is, what they're about, and some of the cool things that they've done. Um, And and I really like it. Like, it's, I've learned a lot about our users. Not that I didn't know them before, but. it's just sort of interesting context for a lot of the stuff that goes on. You sort of get to know these people. Uh, The important thing is that you get the answer. You don't have to know these people. But as you spend more time in the community, like we do, of course, since that's kind of my job, but anyone else who participates on the site, you kind of do learn who these people are. And you kind of wonder what makes them tick and why they answer the way they answer. And... um, it's just another dimension to the site. It's, it's really for, for fairly average It's avid extremely users. cool
0: because I've always been a big fan of finding places where we can cram more flair that people can earn. Because <laughs> I've always believed that do awesome things on our site, we want to give you the option to, um, to, be, to look cool, to have all that awesome flair as you walk around in the Stack Exchange network so that everybody can see your awesomeness. Uh, like immediately without clicking through and studying and reviewing and that kind of stuff. Or to use the obnoxious term, epeen. Epeen. <laughs> Somebody can look uh, that up on Urban Dictionary. I'm not going to explain it, uh, but uh, the, but, the, but the user cards give us a way to do that, and over time we can you know we can we can have cool things like earn forty thousand rep in one week, and you can change the background color of your
3: card. <laughs> <laughs> or pay us twenty dollars a month, and oh. we have a small theme. <laughs> 20,000 unicorns. Yeah, that's so, right.
0: That's right. That's right. We can have
3: wow th- the unicorn theme. I was I was actually you know I was joking, but now I was like wow I would pay for that. You would wouldn't the unicorn you? theme. Yeah, I would. you pay a little bit. Did be on.
0: like, how come your card has a unicorn?
3: Even better, pay pay like fifty dollars a month
1: and unlock MySpace mode, where you can customize your user profile With to look HTML. however you want. That's
0: right. You can put any arbitrary HTML on your user card.
3: Actually, there's only one customization, but it involves Comic Sans. That's the only one. <laughs> <laughs> That's the downside. It's like yes, we have one customization, but it's Comic Sans. And so, yeah, it'd, it'd be great. But then we, we could charge people for
2: not writing using Comic the CSS. Sans. Like yeah. MySpace, those old MySpace
3: profiles, so you could charge them like five I bucks have, to write your CSS for. We have a business
2: model. Yay!
3: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Are there any questions from the chat room? I like to do no, at least I one. No, I room. The chat, chat room. room. Was really quiet today.
0: It. Yeah, you guys. You know why, uh, Alex? Because you didn't put a link from the live stream to
1: the chat room. I (laughs) did. Really? Yep. Well, first off, the header on the live stream page is always linked. There's a link in the description. There's a link usually in the lower third. And then we also put one in the chat room.
0: But none of those are actually there. Go look at it. Go to livestreamcom slash stack exchange. S-T-A-C-K-E-X-C-H. Oh, I don't have to spell that. All right. Hey, we got a question. Points up. Tim Stone says, I had a question, points up. Well, ask it. Well, ask it. I hate it when people are like, can I ask a question? Is it okay if I ask it? And it's like, well, you just did. And then they're like,
1: hmm. All right, I'm looking at it right now. I see all three links.
0: Uh, where is, uh, is, that, uh, is that actually on the camera? That's Punyandu. Yeah.
3: Uh, is, there, is there a Punyan-related question? Because I'm an expert in that topic. They
0: asked what kind of do is on Joel's mug.
3: I, I have a question it's for a, Jeff. It's really
0: a can of Punyan do over here.
3: Jeff,
1: what is your least favorite part about Jason Punyan?
0: <laughs> All right, stop <laughs> is that it. That's a serious <laughs> question. You've been no. listening to the Stack Exchange Podcast number 17. 16? 17.
1: 17
0: with special guests, uh, George Beach and Kyle Brandt. Special thanks to Deputy Assistant, third Deputy Editor in charge of fonts and typesetting, and and uh, working the mixer today is as Associate Second third remote deputy producer, Brett White from the Chaos team. Alex Miller is first number one head producer in charge. I'm Joel Spolsky. Jeff Atwood is with you here. Oh, by the way, uh, actually, Kyle and George, uh, this is what we always do for our guests. Where do they find you online? And we sort of mentioned that, blog.serverfault. Any other other sites you guys want to pimp? Maybe your comic book collection website or something?
2: Well, I've got my very not- Often updated blog that's at brokenhaze.com. Broken Haze, H-A-Z. Broken Like Haze. Exactly how you expect it, be, expect it to be yeah. spelled. It's, it sounds like a nice goat cheese from Oregon. Yep. Broken
0: Haze. Exactly. Uh, okay. Kind of an aged goat cheese. We'll see you next week.
4: Bye. See you next week.